Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. We shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. They can tell us we're crazy, and we can say, well, you haven't seen anything yet. Our society is complex, and we teach our students that they could just fix it. Go fix a military helicopter and see how far you get with that. Like when I saw your Instagram, I was like, oof, that is, that is hefty. <laughs> Thank you. No worries. Um, so you've never, you've never done a podcast before. That shocks me so much. Never, never in my life. Like it's, it's mad because like, I've spent, I don't know, the last five, six years just listening to podcasts yeah. nonstop. Yeah. Listening to Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and these guys. So to be actually a guest on a podcast feels a little bit surreal. You know what I mean? Oh, like, man. I'm, I'm happy I can. It's a little bit kind of imposter syndrome you know mate how do you think it feels starting with like i'm glad i can pop your cherry with this uh i really am yeah but uh i'm like i'm like you i listen to the tim ferris podcast i listen to the joe rogan experience like uh jocko willings podcast and all these other mm. things that like you know just to kind of you know you, you listen to to want to better yourself essentially yeah and um, that's exactly what it's all about yeah yeah i was having a conversation with my friend where it was like uh um we were talking about like the 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 levels you go through when it comes to like improving yourself so, like you start off going to the gym and then you get into like i don't know something low level like gary v or joe rogan and stuff then you start like listening to all these things and then you go down like certain routes whether it's like you know uh, like jordan peterson or you go like to true jocko willink or david goggins and all these kind of things mm. and it's weird how everyone just kind of yeah. ends up at the same place of wanting to do or like you know not be the same thing but just be better if that makes sense yeah, and I suppose the what's interesting with the guys you mentioned there, they're all kind of sending out a message that's quite similar, you know? Yeah. It's especially like Jordan Pierce and Jocko Willink. These guys like they've all been on each other's podcast and they're all um they're all quite friendly, but they're all it all kind of boils down to, you know, the importance of personal responsibility and taking your life in your own hands and stuff like that. So I think especially for for young people who are maybe a little bit lost in life who are trying to, you know, search search for a direction that they should go or you know to try and find success or live a fulfilling life yeah. those guys are, are are sending out messages that you know are important mm. important that, that that we listen to you know and, and we can we can really learn from that from, from those kind of people you know yeah so um i was gonna ask i know you told me before what is it that you do exactly you have a master's in psychology there right? i have a master's in psychology yeah i worked I have about five or six years experience in social care. So when I was in college, I was working in residential care mm. um, on a relief contract. So basically whenever I wasn't in college, I was working. So that was grand. It was good experience. I was kind of exposed to severe autism and um, other neurological dis um, disorders like that, right. uh, epilepsy and stuff like that. And uh then obviously I completed my college course and I continued working in, so in residential care for a while, which is tough, especially after five or six years, it's you're in kind of the same house, you're looking after the same residents. And although it's, you're gaining an awful lot of experience, it's very hard at times because um, a lot of the behaviors are challenging, like yeah, they're kind I... of hard to deal with. And eventually it becomes kind of mentally draining on you as well because the right. shifts are long as well um and so then my girlfriend and i had had uh, intended on moving to austin texas amazing in august of 2019 and then obviously COVID 19 happened yeah so um that was kind of put on hold um i'm, I'm from county leash originally right. we're from leash so we said right what will we do we can't 
we can't go to America. We said we move to Dublin. It's the next best thing. There'll be more opportunities or whatever than there is in County Leash anyway, because there's not a whole lot in Leash. It's a very nice county, but there's not that many opportunities as such. Right. Okay. I get you. So we moved, we moved up and we got a lovely apartment here in Chapel Izzet. And uh, I applied for a job with Walk. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. No. They're a charity really that work with kind of the same, along the same lines as what I was doing before. Uh, work with it's like a, it's a day service that i'm in at the moment right. um, our service users have a diagnosis of autism but my title is psychology project worker so it's not really social care it's more the psychology aspect of things and so it's 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 definitely more interesting and probably better for me in terms of where i want to go with my career like yeah then just like the residential care which i can imagine is extremely draining autism is interesting though um i like my family has a bit of autism. It, like uh, my two cousins, my I'm going to say two youngest cousins. Um, one of them has it. Um, like you, you know, we they found out early on, and they kind of caught it. So, and it's not like it's hindering. It's I, I don't know how to say it aside from like the good kind. You know what I mean? Like he's high functioning. Um, he's really really smart. Gets into things. Um, you know, like I know that one of the things of autism is like you know he gets obsessed with like certain things for a while and all that kind of stuff. And you can kind of see it more so than like Asperger's say, where that's like, you're getting into things, but you're not, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like it, it is such a new phenomenon in terms of how we treat it psychologically and what we know about it. And what was it like for you on that end? Like what, what can you see or what, like, is it something that you see as being more common nowadays? Or is it just a case we're diagnosing it more than more people have it? Or like, you know, what is it? What, what kind of ends of the spectrum are there? Very vast spectrum. Yeah. I mean, like no one, like no two people with who have a diagnosis, diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder will be the same. Like, yeah, it's very, very, very seldom you'll have two people who are like kind of present with the very same behaviors. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. It's so new. I think researchers know very little about it. Um, it's definitely an area that's interesting in, in terms of like research and um, what actually causes autism i don't know like there seems to have been a, a, a fairly substantial influx yeah or increase in the amount of autism cases yeah um, recently very recently like i don't know whether that was because in previous times people who were autistic were just institutionalized and kind of shunned and put to the side which is obviously a, a horrific way to treat people but um it's, it's kind of difficult to when somebody asks me like what's autism it's very difficult to give it no an yeah because yeah. it's so vast i get you know that what i mean yeah yeah i get that i mean like how to put it it's it's something that i i would mock myself like you know the way most people say like oh that's like autistic like when i what i see as kind of um low resolution levels of autism would be you know when people they're not socialized to the degree that they should be when they're a certain age of that. Like, you know, you have certain markers where you're supposed to have done certain things and be at a certain place and these people just aren't there. Do you know what I mean? Mm, Say yeah. when I was growing up, I had that like autism accent where it was just like, I spent too much time watching TV, didn't make it out enough. And then had that like American twang on my accent. So mm. it's weird. And like, I'd, I'd put myself I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm autistic because I'm not, but like I could see how I'd, I'd resonate or, could be compared to someone who has Asperger's, you know what I mean? And I mean, like, yeah, that's yeah. that's me half joking, but at the same time, like, I see it because I know my cousin has it, and then I have another cousin, like I said, who has autism more severely to the point where like, you know, he needs special needs assistance in, in school and stuff and special care. Um, and this, this like, period, this COVID period has not been easy on him in the slightest because mm. 
they're all about they're all about autistic people generally love a routine and it's something that's been yeah. like definitely gone it's his has disappeared he used to like you know be very regimented and when he went when he got up and when he went to school and after school care and all this kind of stuff and then that just gets thrown by the wayside but um what do you think has been like the i don't know what's the biggest challenge or the biggest kind of um is there any better word than that it, what's the biggest kind of um discrepancy that you'd see in terms of how people with autism are treated versus like normal people or is there one um there probably is in a sense that like from my experience working with people who have a diagnosis of autism they they those that are higher functioning mm. they really want to be treated the very same as anyone else like yeah and they want to be spoke the very same way i'd speak to my friends or whatever my family and you know it's kind of a natural thing for us to if we see somebody who's clearly displaying um symptoms that are you know consistent with somebody who has a diagnosis of autism to treat them differently or you know but that's not necessarily the way to go forward i don't think yeah. i think it's a little demeaning but like at the same time you can kind of understand where people are why that happens why people do that mm-hmm. because um you know certain behaviors are kind of unusual for us to observe yeah and i guess maybe that's probably another problem people are very naive to what autism is they don't necessarily understand what it is what it involves um and they don't understand that people with autism are just people like they're just yeah. ordinary they're people you know they just have different behaviors they're not all rain man like no exactly yeah yeah. yeah yeah so um i guess it's just probably a matter of like kind of decreasing the stigma attached to the diagnosis 100 yeah treating these people as actual you know as people yeah. as they are so it's it's interesting though because you wouldn't notice it and it's one of those things where i, I suppose people are more intolerant to disabilities that they can't see you know it's like you'd hold the door open for someone in a wheelchair but when someone with autism tries to like you know like place an order for something or starts to have like a like a twitch or whatever it's like you just kind of because they're not like there's nothing physically wrong with them that you can see you're just like that's weird you know what i mean it's like yeah. what's going on and, and we do i'm not like i think it's like i'm glad that more people kind of understand it now but we do still tend to kind of look at people and go like what what are you what are you doing like act normal yeah. stop acting out like do you know what i mean yeah. um but yeah how's dublin treating you i love dublin yeah i love it like compared to leash yeah, I mean, like, no offense leash. yeah well i do love leash as well but i mean even when we were when we were living in leash my girlfriend and i we, we would regularly just hop on the train and go up to dublin just really? for the day to walk around the town and yeah because I don't know why. I suppose it's just there's an atmosphere around the place that isn't in County Leash. Like, I'm from a very small village. I don't know how many people live in Shannon. Shannon is where I'm from originally. It's mm. a tiny little place. There's literally only, there's not even a shop. There's a, a church, a GA pitch. That sounds about right for it. like for an Irish, like, you know, town. Yeah, 100%. A church yeah, and a GA pitch. It. That's all you need. My girlfriend's from, my girlfriend's from Port Leash, which is a big enough town, but still compared to Dublin, like, it's mm. minuscule. So. We used to just like coming up and like, having a walk around and uh, going for a few drinks, Temple Bar or whatever. Yeah. Um, but we moved up and we were loving it since we moved up. Our, our apartment is right here at Phoenix Park. Amazing. And we have our own little key into Phoenix Park into a little private gate out the back here. And um, it's brilliant because we're, Chapel is it, the village itself. It's quite like a country village. There's lots of trees, there's the river, mm. there's nice little walkways and stuff like that. But at the same time, 
you know, it's a five minute drive into the middle of town. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You're very, have the best of both. You're very so. central. Yeah, yeah. Toka House is up near that way, isn't it? Is that right? Sorry, Toka House is that is that up near you? I'm Probably not sure. Right? Yeah, I'm yeah, not sure. I don't know. My knowledge of like Chapel is it isn't isn't phenomenal, but like once you're on the edge of Phoenix Park, I know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah yeah um but yeah so hold on when we first started talking one of the things you said to me was that you wanted to get into psychedelic therapy is that right it's obviously yeah, like one, right. one of the main reasons like that i want to talk to you was because i was like whoa yeah. like, let's let's this is interesting um have you had any, any experience with psychedelics like I, I assume you do because otherwise you wouldn't lean so hard into this is that right yeah i have had experience but um my initial interest didn't necessarily come from a a psychedelic experience i just right because i was doing psychology in college i suppose i don't know i just i seen some of the the reports of some of the studies that were coming out especially in uh in the mid-2000s that were you know because there was a effectively a 40-year hiatus where psychedelic research was just not allowed to be done yeah so when these new studies started being done um the results were just absolutely mind-blowing like they were just crazy like for example there was a study done in 1999, but it wasn't actually allowed to be published till 2006 by a guy named Roland Griffiths, who's a, a psychiatrist, and he was originally a neuropsychopharmacologist of Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Mm. And uh, he just did a study with healthy normals, is what they're called, people who didn't have any psychiatric disorder or anything like right. that. But um, they were just administered psilocybin, which is the psychoactive component of what we'd refer to as magic mushrooms and um the results were crazy like 80 percent of the volunteers reported the experience that they had the mystical experience they were calling it as one of the five most spiritually significant and personally meaningful experiences of their whole entire lives and 50 percent of those uh volunteers said that it was in fact the most spiritually significant and personally meaningful experience of their lives and when you hear results like that, you're kind of like, that is mad. Like, yeah. That is mental. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. And Why is this? What other you know, test I, would I, you I, get that has like a over 50% kind of rating of anything? Like, Yeah. There's nothing else in psychiatry that has had results this profound. Right. So that's really what drove me to it. And then obviously I became more and more interested and I was just like flat out looking at the research and look and signing up to newsletters and um, it's just kind of developed from there, really. And the research has gone on and on. And there's been one of the cool things about psychedelic drugs is that they are transdiagnostic. So their psilocybin could be used to treat an array of different disorders. Right. Which is cool, which is not like, you know, no other drugs really are capable of doing that. Yeah. And it all boils down to the experience that it initiates. It's not necessarily to do with the drug itself or the therapy like it really is to do with the combination of both the drug and the therapeutic aspect of it and when they are combined they can produce this what john johns hopkins uh termed a mystical type experience and yeah that's what people that's what the researchers are saying is what's is is what's most important about this research yeah and what what kind of like after that, do you, were you just like, why why aren't we talking about it more about this? Or were you just kind of like hooked on it? What, what was kind of like, after reading the study, what did you think like in your head needed to be like the next step for you? And I'm not saying like, I know you went into all of this, like, you know, um, um, in terms of like your social care and all that. But why is this something yeah. that's kind of like push, pushing you towards something? Like, wh- why do you think it should be so, 
I don't know. Why do you think it should be a form of therapy over here? Well, I mean, the traditional, like let's say the SSRIs yeah. that are being used now to treat depression just aren't really working. They've become less effective. Yeah. Um, and we clearly have an issue with suicide. Like globally, we have issues with suicide and, and depression and anxiety, and it seems to be just increasing and increasing. And when you see those kind of results, like some of the studies that are being done now to treat um, treatment-resistant depression and anxiety and stuff like that with psychedelic drugs, and they're, they're yielding these incredibly impressive results. You're, like, it lights a fire under you, especially if you're interested in it, like I was. Mm. It really, like, I was telling everyone about it, and, like, my parents thought I was going mad. <laughs> what's this on about? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, what's he yeah. talking about? Because they had, they kind of grew up in the in the 60s, and... The war on drugs kind of era. Um, yeah, 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 like like it was just bad media that was being, you know, that was being reported, and they had only ever their only opinion of psychedelics were that they were incredibly dangerous, and you know they were just associated with the hippie movement, and they sh- you know they're of no use to anyone. Yeah. Whereas the research tells a very different story, and the the science tells a very a very different story. So, um, I was just, I was just, I don't know, I just really caught my my like my interest. I was. For whatever reason, it's kind of the only thing that um, I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm. Like straight away when I was here, when I was reading these reports of yeah. these studies, I was like, that's what I want to do. That's the direction I want to go in. That's fair. And I and I like I still feel that way. Absolutely, more so than ever, actually. Yeah. So, what's the current uh-huh. legislation over here about it? Because I know they're illegal, even though they grow here. But uh, so, what's your or do you like? Do you know much on what you can and can't have, or what you can and can't do? So in Ireland, like they're still completely illegal. You can't use them at all. You can't grow them. None of that. Like it's just, you just they're they're a no go. Um, and it's similar in much of America and Canada. But there are um, certain parts of America where where plant medicines, as they are called, have become at least decriminalized. Mm. I think in Oregon, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. psilocybin therapy has been made legal recently. Um, and Denver, Colorado, I think, decriminalized psilocybin as well. But um, uh, at the moment, both psilocybin for in treatment of depression and MDMA, which isn't necessarily a classic psychedelic like LSD, mescaline, psilocybin. MDMA is more like it was, you know, it's, it was synthesized in the lab. It's not necessarily a natural compound. It's a classic but, um, good time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's actually been that's a break that's been a designated breakthrough therapy status by the FDA as well. Very good. Um, in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. So that in, within they're in phase three trials now with both of those compounds in a, in a conjunction with the psychotherapy, obviously, and it's looking like they're going to be uh, a legal therapy within the next six months to a year. Yeah. in the states and like if if they're, if they come legal in the states then we should follow they, suit they were more likely to come legal elsewhere yeah yeah amazing because i remember the first i heard of like magic mushrooms or lsd being used in any kind of clinical experiment was that when they were used it was on terminally ill people and it was like their what is it it's like their um fear of mortality just decreased rapidly within with like yeah. one session of having this like breakthrough experiences and these spiritual experience like you were saying it's like they're just so profound and like you said i don't think it's just the the trip i think it's like the combination of 
if you're willing to understand what you get out of it, if that makes sense. Because it was like, there was a time before there was like the hiatus that you mentioned where mm. LSD was being used like as, as a therapeutic. Like people would go in, mm. have sessions, have a sugar cube, whatever it was. And then yeah. um, I'm pretty sure like some celebrities did it. Like I think I think Gene Kelly did like, I, like I could be wrong on that. But um, Jack Nicholson was a was a big proponent of it at the time as well. Actually. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. But um, <laughs> yeah, and I, like it just blows me away that the fact that we have this stuff, we like it, some of it literally grows from the ground. Whether it comes to where, whether that's weed or whether that's um, psilocybin, like this thing grows from the ground, and the government and everyone else just suddenly decides that you know what, people shouldn't be allowed to have this plant. <laughs> no, and it's mm-hmm. like this this life altering thing. It's like we're such a religious country. And it's like, okay, well, do you want to do you want to talk to God for a second? And it's like, here, here's the yeah. phone. Just like pick it out the ground and talk, you know. And we're yeah, just yeah. so like, and especially psychedelics are associated with so many different religious traditions and stuff like that as well. Like, yeah. Imagine here in Ireland, where you know we're predominantly like considered a, a Christian country, whatever. Um, they might be a little bit more uh, open to the idea of exploring your consciousness, but uh, obviously that's not the case. And you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, they were made illegal for reasons that were just abhorrent. Like it was, if you, if you look at the, if you look at the history and it was during the Nixon administration mm. and they wanted, essentially, because it was associated, like LSD was the drug of choice for researchers during that time in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And um, it leaked from the lab, unfortunately, and was associated with the hippie movement and was used inappropriately and irresponsibly during that time. And it was associated with the anti-war movement because obviously the Vietnam War was ongoing at the moment. And, uh, you know, there was war protests yeah. and Nixon and his administration were like, we can't have these people not wanting to go fight in Vietnam. So they just made them illegal in 1970, and all all psychedelic drugs were made illegal for personal use and in research. So there was, you know, it was it was a, it was a disaster really because they had shown incredible promise throughout the 50s and 60s. There was, I think, over a thousand studies done with over 40,000 participants, and um, you know, the results were incredibly encouraging and promising. And then, you know, it just all stopped yeah. all of a sudden. You said that that then. Um people who use them inappropriately during the, the hippie movement so what's your opinion on if they were to be like legalized or introduced how should that be done do you think that should be entirely a therapeutic thing or should we treat them the same way like we treat alcohol i don't think i don't this is something i'm still trying to figure out a little bit right uh, but um i think there there's there's definitely risks involved with taking these drugs right um and these risks, these risks are managed in a therapeutic context. Right. When yeah, there okay. is somebody, a sitter, uh, or a guide, or a therapist who's helping you to, you know, guide you through this experience, the risks are considerably diminished. Yeah. But um, if you don't know how to deal with whatever you're seeing or experiencing on these trips, they can be psychologically damaging in the long run. So I'd be hesitant to say that I want to see them legalized but at the same time i'm kind of like if they were legalized and regulated and there was education they might it, it could be safe because if people are, are people want to take these drugs and experiment with their own consciousness they're going to do it anyway yeah and by just kind of you know confining it to the dark web or whatever it makes it much more dangerous because 
there could be contaminants mm. or whatever and people just aren't given the access to education to, to, to make it a, a more safe experience for them so i don't really know where i stand on it to be honest but i do know that the risks are considerably you know reduced in when when they are taken responsibly in a therapeutic context and that's why we're seeing such you know mind-blown results in these uh in, in these in these uh, therapy uh, studies like yeah yeah that makes a difference because um what was it i was gonna say when even when I, I talked about um like with my friends like when we talked about you know the first time smoking weed or whatever the case is yeah. there's this the reason now I, I could be entirely wrong like i understand that paranoia is a big part of marijuana for some people but i think one of the reasons that, that comes down to any drug and paranoia is the fact that it is illegal so like you're constantly trying to like subconsciously look over your back of the fact that you know is someone watching does someone know what's the consequences yeah. and I, I, like i get that from from like the psychedelic point of view as well where if you know you're doing this drug that is like firing every neuron that it can get its hands on in your brain mm. like are you gonna drive yourself into a scared state if you're not you know if, mm. if you're not in the proper environment because set and setting is a big part of these things and it's something that mm. like if you look up on how to take a psychedelic properly it'll be the first thing that people tend to say is like make sure you're surrounded by people who you like know and who, who you trust and that the setting is right mm. the music is right and all that kind of stuff so i never really thought about it that way because i'm i'm someone that's just like yeah come on grows in the ground let me have yeah. it you know um yeah so many people are like that they're like you know and that's where the danger is too yeah like sorry like that's where the danger is too like i, I would be one of yeah. those naive guys that would just be like yeah yeah come here nobbling up like yeah. seven grams whatever i don't know and then just i don't know hopefully not ending up jumping off a roof but i've heard it happen you know and it's not <laughs> something that should be discounted by people like me either yeah well i mean my friends would be you know they'd be similar to yourself in that sense like they'd they don't understand the potential consequences negative consequences of taking these drugs when you're not adequately prepared yeah. so and i obviously i'm conscious of that just because i'm so interested and i'm up to date and aware with, with what's going on but uh yeah you touched on a good point there in the sense that because they are illegal by taking them you're automatically kind of unconsciously thinking these are illegal and then you're kind of in negative thought loops and you're like, what if I get caught? And then all of a sudden you're in a bad set. Your mindset's yeah. just off and that considerably increases the chance of having a bad trip. You know, a bad trip. Yeah. So it's interesting. So have you had any experience with these yourself? In countries where it's perfectly have, legal, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For research purposes, yeah, yeah. obviously. Um, not too much, like not yeah. not like extensive, but um yeah, I mean, MDMA was probably the first standard, um, yeah. what we call ecstasy here. And uh, I've had nothing but profoundly positive experiences on MDMA, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I can totally see, I can see, I can see why they're, why they're so effective, especially in, in uh, you know, with PTSD, because, you know. Just good memories, just good times. Yeah. Yeah, it's just really like I mean, they obviously release oxytocin and they release serotonin and dopamine, and they're called an empathogen for a reason because when you take MDMA, you want to hug and kiss everyone around you. Yeah. Um, but also, like it, with MDMA, they uh, it um it can bring up these negative if if you were subjected to some kind of traumatic experience as young as when you're in your younger years, yeah. it can bring those experiences to the surface 
or those memories to the surface and if you don't know how to effectively deal with that it can be damaging so even with mdma you'd want to be taken in a therapeutic context i think as well you know with all these drugs i don't necessarily believe that they should be used recreationally right okay. you know yeah yeah i um like you know i think there's just too much risks involved and i think in the therapeutic context these risks are as i said already they're you know they're reduced yeah significantly you can really have a profound experience when when you take them properly mm-hmm. and when you're when you have a guide so um you know that's kind of where i stand with at the moment that's a good sense to have man because like you have people like I'll use myself yeah people like me who when you first get your hands on something when you want to dissociate from yourself and try and experience a different level of consciousness like yeah. you're generally not in a good place when when those are your thoughts you know when you want to detach from yourself and go somewhere else and try and feel something it's like it's generally not you're not doing that for some therapeutic other than a short-term therapeutic you know and yeah 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 like, I totally understand what you're saying like, like just to use an example from from for myself Yesterday, I was in great form Friday evening. I was coming off from work and I was like, all right, I'm going to, like, going to smoke a giant. And then a couple of things happened here yesterday evening and my mood changed and mm. I was going, I just, you know, I just, whatever, I became a little bit more sad or disappointed, whatever yeah. was going on. And then I was like, I don't want to smoke this giant now because I'm in a bad mood because it feels as if I'm just going to smoke it to try and alleviate whatever yeah. kind of, you know, depression I'm feeling. Um, so... You know, you don't want to kind of, you don't want to associate those drugs with kind of like, you know, to improve your situation. I I kind of tend to, even with alcohol, I tend to only drink or only smoke marijuana when I'm in a good mood or, you know, as a little bit of a treat at the end of the week, you know, that kind of a thing. But if you're using them, if you're using them to kind of, you know, alleviate your depression or whatever it may be, you need to actually figure out what's going on, what's causing depression, you know. And this is where, like, I, I, I'll come back to you on, on my own experience was that I remember it was like 2016. It's like not a, not a good year, you know, fresh in college. And then I was like, ah, oh. um, just um, as my good friend Gary O'Neill would say, Guantanamo brain. And um, <laughs> like, uh, I was just n- not in a good place. And I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do this first year of college stuff. And I'm going to do it right, baby. I'm going to get all these up my yeah. nostrils and uh, into my system. Yeah. And I did. And like, there's nothing that compares to when you're like i'm coming up and like you know you just feel it and and then you know you start to realize down the line that obviously like you're doing this for the wrong reasons um like like you said you have to treat it with respect the first time i did acid was before i went on a night out i was in my house and uh um one of the girls who i we were like going out with had gotten it at the time and me and her took it and she started freaking out so we didn't even get anywhere but um we came back and there was two tabs i had to take one and then there was another one left i was like you know what if i'm gonna do it now i'm surrounded by people i like i'll be fine and it's just yeah. it, it's not the right it's not the right setting right it's not the right place it's not it's not it's it, i was looking to escape and then yeah. it kind of dawned on me afterwards i think this is only probably something i came to realize like last year was that it wasn't like it's very easy to keep doing that kind of thing but when you're missing something psychologically when that like when you don't realize what you're trying to get out of it, when you start to realize that and get some meaning, I suppose is the right word, like mm. the the tendency to do that, to escape more, just kind of decreases and decreases. And you just want to mm. kind of like, like you said, like you know the effects of marijuana and like you, you want to have it as a treat. You want to have it as something you enjoy when you're in mm. that mood. And I get that because if I were to come home and just willy-nilly like go out the back, just 
and fucking oh fucking emo fucking you know light up and spark up and then i wouldn't be in the right state of mind that i'd want to be in to enjoy it properly if that makes sense yeah yeah and it's so much better when you're in a good mood anyway yeah you know um so yeah but like i have to say that i'm not anti-drug in any way shape or form like i I really do think that there is great utility in using these drugs and i think it's perfectly human to want to experiment with your consciousness in by ingesting it like all they are really is a culmination of different molecules they're not inherently bad drugs themselves are not bad and they can in fact be incredibly helpful yeah as long as they're taken you know in the right context so um i know like people like i mean i'm somewhat liberal when it comes to drugs like I had, I remember having a uh, conversation with my dad one night and I was like, heroin's not, there's nothing inherently bad about heroin. Like, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Like it's, all it is, 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 is chemicals. And, uh, you know, he was like, oh, come on, like it's, it, it is bad. Yeah. You know, you can, people get addicted to it and it ruins their lives and all that. But you have to understand that people who, like an overwhelming proportion of the people who are addicted to heroin are people who are, Life's not going great for them. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's their social economic status or whatever it could be relationship trouble, one thing or another, and uh, you know it, it just becomes a vice for them or whatever. But like, I don't know if you're if you're if you're familiar with Dr. Karen Hart, who is a neuroscientist from America. Yes, and um, he he was on the Jared Experience like a couple of weeks ago, wasn't he? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I saw was, that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. And he he recently uh, brought brought a book. I think it's called Drug Use for Grown Ups or something. For, like yeah, that. yeah. Um, and he's very open about his drug use. Like he says, if he's going on a podcast or if he's delivering a speech or whatever, like he will take heroin because it just calms him down. Like, but he's, he's, he remains kind of hell bent on being, you know, on living up to his responsibilities and looking after his kids and all that. Like he's aware that he still needs to do all that stuff and he still does do all that stuff. But, you know, taking heroin, obviously not advocating heroin. You say, yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I get, no i get it yeah yeah he was saying um that it helps him in that situation and like if that works for him that's fine i don't have a problem with that yeah you know? like that was weird to me hearing that as well because like you i'm someone that's liberal with drugs i don't really mind but when you just when you hear heroin that's like so stark and that has so like even yeah. for for me like i'm not saying like i'm any drug head or whatever but even for me that that has such negative connotations i'm like ooh. It's like you're doing heroin before you go out. Like that must be. And like to be fair, all it is is like street morphine. So call it whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah. And people. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. People it's don't. Very similar to the morphine people get when they're getting whatever a hip replacement. And you know those people who get their hip replacements and come back out after taking morphine for I don't know how long are not addicted. Yeah. Probably because their life is going fairly okay. Yeah. You know. It's like um, there was a study done as well on that note where it was I think soldiers returning from Vietnam, and. A lot of them had started to use heroin. I think this was in uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. It was That's where I read that. Mm-hmm. Um, when they started to come back from Vietnam, they'd all... Because it was so... Opium was something that was grown over there and harvested over there and sold. And it was sold to the soldiers. They got their hands on it. And a lot of them had taken to heroin use. But when they came back, most of them just got off straight away. Most of them just went like back to normal because it was just something they did over there. And as soon as they left, it wasn't any big thing. It was like, your life is fine now. You're back home. It's like anything that you were scared of before or any kind of worries you had or any stresses that were in your life were predominantly from the fact that you're in a war as opposed to you being in any worse condition psychologically do you know yeah. so it was like they came yeah. back and then they could just drop it and that was fine and there was no withdrawals some of them reported having mild cold symptoms was the most yeah. extreme that i remember it being and then obviously like some remained addicted when they could get their hands on it but most of them just kind of quit a cold turkey 
Yeah. And it's it's funny that you bring up vets actually because there's obviously a huge issue in America with with veterans and PTSD. There's I think there's a million veterans in America who have a diagnosis of PTSD. And I think around about twenty veterans commit suicide every single day in America as a result of their PTSD. Which is absolutely like it's crazy to think that twenty veterans are committing suicide every single day. And um just to link back to MDMA, like the research is showing that MDMA is by far and away the single best MDMA assisted psychotherapy because it is very important. Yeah, yeah, you, you do need that, yeah. Um, it's the best treatment for PTSD. Some of the trials that have been done by MAPS, I don't know if you're familiar with MAPS, the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. Yeah. Set up by a guy named Rick Doblin, and um, I think after like after one month follow up of being the way MDMA assisted psychotherapy works is you would have three psychotherapy sessions, mm. then you'd be then you'd have an MDMA session, mm. three integrated sessions, and then you'd have an MDMA session, then you'd have three more psychotherapy sessions, one more MDMA session, and then three more psychotherapy sessions. So all in all, it lasts about three and a half months. But on one month follow-up, around about 56% of volunteers will no longer meet criteria for PTSD. Jesus. And after a year, it goes up to 67% will no longer have PTSD because they realize in the treatment that this is something they can process by themselves. Mm. So they just get better and better, which is just mad. Like So, I mean, I'm incredibly excited to see that MDMA-assisted psychotherapy will be will be an a legal therapy in the next couple of years that's unreal like even those results are something that if you said to anyone that you could run them through a program that was giving this results like if you had like a i don't know like a strength conditioning program and you're like listen like most people who do this they come out and they're shredded to bits you'd be like 100 percent. let's let's try it but when it comes yeah. to something that's so like abstract like psychology in the mind and trying to work out you know trying to unclog whatever it is that's wrong and trying to teach someone how to process that it's funny how we, we don't have the same kind of openness towards trying that if we can see that it might work for people and it might stop people from feeling like they're in such a bad place to the point where they have to kill themselves. Like, yeah, it just, I don't know, man. like suicide and getting to that point in your life, I, I can't imagine. Um, mm. Like, I, I really can't. And I, I, I can't imagine anyone holding back on implementing any help they could on that front. And I, I get that that's very, like, close to home, like that anecdotal that's, that's you know just like people who are committing suicide would feel that way and you know it has to be looked at in a bigger picture and go through all this mm. bureaucracy and i get that but jesus mm. it's it's insane um and yeah even when it comes to like psilocybin i know that um <laughs> i was talking to uh, an associate and they were saying at like a couple of months ago how up in the mountains to me because i live in Knockline. do you know where that is it's probably not yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh. I work in Tala, actually, based in Tala, so oh, really, not lines only five minutes. Yeah. Stones throw. We're neighbours, unreal. Yeah. Um, up near me, there's the Hellfire Club and all those mountains, and like you know, mm. the, the Irish mountains are like 15 minute drive away. If you drive 15 minutes, chances are you're going to hit a sheep at some point, you know. And yeah. um, I was talking to her, and she was saying like, "How have I not gone foraging before? Because all those Liberty Caps that are so, so uh. um, predominantly found in the in the grasses in Ireland, like they're all up here." Which is insane yeah. to me. Um, Actually, now that you mentioned it, um, you asked me earlier if I had any experience with any of these substances. Yeah. And fully enough, I hope this doesn't do me any damage in the long run professionally. But uh, I, um, 
my my brother and I, well, I was kind of, you know, I was hell-bent on having these experiences, especially with psilocybin, because there's so much media and so much <laughs> research that's being done. I was like, I have to experience this. Right. So I spent ages researching, you know, what exactly does a Liberty Cap look like? Um, what are the, what do the lookalikes look like? How can I differentiate between these mushrooms? And uh, I, I honestly went foraging maybe five or six times and I was putting pictures up on Reddit stuff and I was like and I was getting all this feedback and uh it took me ages to really hone down what what a liberty cap was because there are some lookalikes out there that are incredibly similar and not good for you um, yeah I was yeah 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 fair you know yeah so I uh eventually was confident enough in my in my uh fungi kind of uh identification skills and uh I went up to the hellfire and you know there was loads of them up there there was loads of them up there i picked maybe all together i picked maybe about 150 liberty caps up there one one morning outrageous okay okay and uh obviously you go through the whole rigmarole of drying them out yeah. and all that crack and i prepared myself for a few weeks and i eventually did make have like kind of come to the decision that i was going to try it so i made a tea a psychedelic tea and uh I had an under. I, I took, I think, around a, a little bit less than two grams, which wouldn't be a, a, a big dose by yeah. any stretch. I think in the in clinical trials they use three grams or two and a half grams, but because I was psychedelically psychedelically naive, I was like, right, I'm going to err on the side of caution here, right? Just in case she hits the fan. Right, right, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I I took around about two grams, and actually I took a gram, and then about an hour later I took another gram, and I went on a trip that lasted maybe five or six hours and I didn't necessarily lose my sense of self. I didn't experience any ego dissolution or anything like that, but I did have a profoundly enjoyable experience. Like it was unreal. I had a like carefully curated playlist playing in the background, lots of classical music and stuff like that. A little bit of Enya thrown in, a bit of the Beatles and all that. And, um, it was on, like, it was, it was incredible. I had some mad hallucinations. Um, and throughout the whole experience, well, with every song that came on, I felt like I had my I had my eyes closed. Obviously, I had um, eye eye things. What do you call them? Eye mask. Eye things. Yeah, eye mask on. And uh, with every song that came on, I felt like I was there, front row and center, at a musical in which that song was being played. Unreal. It was absolutely magical. And then, like throughout the whole thing, there was this unbelievable feeling right here. Oh, that just felt like to me the only way to describe it was like just pure love for everything yeah it was just you know that feeling you get maybe when you fall in love or something unbelievable happens in a movie and you get like really emotional it was that kind of feeling i had it for five hours straight christ yeah 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 it was just absolutely unbelievable and like you know you want to shout from the rooftops but at the same time you have to be you have to be careful because you know i was i did my research i knew what to take i knew how to take it i I had the whole day set up to ensure that it was, well, not necessarily ensure because it would have been a bad experience. There's always the chance that it could be a bad experience. Yeah. But I was, I had basically convinced myself that this was going to be something positive for me. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was really, really positive. So it was, it was cool. I've never actually done mushrooms, funny enough, uh, even though they're so close to me, I've been told. I need to, I need to get up at some point. <laughs> um, but one of the most profound psychedelic trips I had was the last one I had, which was when I was with my friends in Amsterdam. Because in Amsterdam, you can get truffles. And they're like, you know, mm. they're a psilocybe. They're kind of the same, but different. You know what I mean? They're not like fully, yeah. fully magic mushroom, but they're not 
fully not either. And I remember we went to get them, me and my friend Dylan. I went up to the shop and the girl was like, oh, have you have you done these before? And I, I had one, I'd done it once before with my friend Dara on my first time in Amsterdam. And that was just a shit show of, of uh, you know, lack of preparedness and whatever else. Yeah. But it wasn't bad. So mm. anyway, I was like, yeah, yeah I've, I've done them uh, before. And so Dylan at this point, and she was like, cool. And I was like, listen, just matter of interest. If I were to like want to come down, she was like, just uh, fresh fruit and orange juice. And I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty handy. So when we went back to the place we were staying in, and this is like kind of a, this place and the guy who owns it, the Airbnb, has like a cult of following amongst my friends. His name is Edwin and his house was just like the perfect setting for doing psychedelics or whatever. Because you could look mm-hmm. out on the canal and he had like a like a boat outside and there was a tree. You could see it at the window. It was all like the scene couldn't have been better. So yeah. we got back and we were dead set on doing this properly. So we all like, you know, held hands, said a prayer to Mother Ayahuasca, who has no probably correlation yeah. with psilocybe. But we were just there like, you know saying our piece saying please guide us please keep us safe holding hands and we took off our socks walked outside grounded ourselves on the tree and uh you know in the grass outside came back in set our little intentions to each other and then just you know i'd curated the playlist because um i don't know i need to be in control like that i need to have this place everyone loved it there was some uh, icarus music going on in the background it was amazing and right we all just started like <laughs> we started off watching Rick and Morty and we were just like eating them and just like, oh, this is this is nice. And as it as it went on, we were kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm at like 70 percent like sobriety. We're like 70 percent. And then and then we're just gone. And then we all like dispersed. And like that, it was a really positive experience. And you could kind of feel uh, certain energies in the room whenever something happened. And you were like, oh, this is like we're on a good vibe right now where, you know, we're loving life. And we yeah. all just kind of went away and like to our own thing, you know and there wasn't anything negative about that and even when you felt like this is going on for about like four years you're like okay so what if it does i'm riding it out and it got to mm-hmm. a point where we all got like really tired and we started to feel come down and we're like okay you know what we'll just go outside and uh we'll like smoke a joint and then we'll you know we'll see what happens we'll, cu- we'll take it easy call it a night yeah. so we went out uh decided to smoke this joint and like that when we came in it's like if someone if reality was a globe someone took it and just and just spun it like 180 degrees 100 miles an hour everything was going at 90 miles an hour we sat down on the couch and my friend just couldn't stop laughing he just could not contain himself at every word that tried to come out of his mouth he couldn't speak and so we just laughed and so we all laughed because we we're like what's going on what, what is this and i just kind of lay on the couch yeah. and i've never felt like I've, I've been in bad states in my life right i've done i've been on hard nights out whatever i've been to ep <laughs> trust me I've, I've done all that but I've never yeah, felt yeah. like such a crack addict in my whole life. Just genuine. I was on the couch and I was just like that. I was convulsing in laughter to the point where like six minute abs, like that was me. I was just like convulsed in laughter. I couldn't stop everything. Yeah. And we just have these laughter purges that went on for minutes at a time. And every time we came out of one and went back into one, it was like, how long was that? Like, is this the seventh time this has happened? How, how long has this been going on? Yeah. And it was yeah. like, like that. I don't know if I had any ego dissolution. I'm sure we all had like our moments of insight. Hmm. But it was so extreme and so positive. Like nothing, nothing bad came of it. And that's be like like that. We kind of respected the set and setting and did all that. But it was just so and like like that. When you get something like that, all you want to do is give that to everyone. You have such a, a sense of connectedness, and you realize that the whole world is is connected, and you're just like a part of it. And but at the same time, you're a part. But that part is the is the whole. And all these like weird thoughts that you wouldn't think of on a day to day basis, like when you're wanting to catch a bus, it's like you don't think of these things at all. You're like. 
oh shit, I have to run. Like, if I if I run, I can probably make it now. And then all you think about is the bus, the bus, the bus. And then you don't really think of all this like outwardness, all of this kind of I don't know what to call it. Like all this kind of like shy talk, for want of a better word, that that exists that you feel and you want everyone else to experience. But at the same time, like you're saying, it's important that we don't kind of misconstrue that with you know putting people in dangerous situations or feeling that people should be forced to do a certain thing or feel a certain way you know it, like it is something to be respected is what i'm trying to get at absolutely and like i mean it sounds like you went about it the right way the way you prepared and you were obviously fairly well versed on on what you were doing and that definitely contributed to why it was so positive for you but i think that's probably one of the powerful aspects of psychedelic trips is not so, probably more so if you do experience ego dissolution or the quieting down of this default mode network that mm. scientists are talking about. Um, your sense of insignificance, which sounds a little bit morbid, but in fact is actually quite helpful in the sense that like, you know, your 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 life is going is a very incredibly short period of time yeah. in you know, in terms of the whole of existence, like yeah. you know, and we are all interconnected yeah and i think that's just an absolute reality like we we were not put here we came out of the earth i think that's a good way of looking at it and i think when you realize that um you know the little problems and things that you experience from on a day-to-day basis are you know reduced they're not as important as we think they are like i mean alan watts talks about this idea of uh I don't know if you're familiar with Alan Watts or Resume Art. You know, I've heard some. Watts. I've heard some excerpts of some of his lectures. I haven't like followed him into any detail. Yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't read any of his books or anything like that, but his talks are just absolutely mesmerizing. And he says, like, the problem is that we like we go through life as if you know it's something to be kind of mastered, but really it's just something that should be played. Like it's mm. a big game. It's it's like a dance, you know, that we should just dance through. And the point of a dance is not to get to the end of a dance, but it's just to actually dance. Do the dance. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I get that. I, yeah, I mean, so. I think that's a big, not even with like life, it's with, the same thing as like with happiness, with anything. We get into these, we have to, we're told we have to be a certain way or feel a certain way or have certain things to, you know, to establish this state of happiness when it's like, the way I look at it is like we have three lines going across and one is like, you know, happiness, you have your normal feelings and you have like sadness. We know when we're happy because we know when we're not. Right, the, the, like every every happy life needs a measure of darkness, so that we know what happy is, and that's a Carl Jung idea. Like that's we we need that we need that the dark times to know that there's something better than that. You know, like we we need the darkness to know that there can be light. And yeah, I, I feel like we kind of we throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to that a bit too much because we're always focused on the next thing. And like I get that I'm someone I don't really stop to smell the roses that much. Like in whatever I've done, I've never been like okay, cool. Like this is this is amazing. I've never taken time to celebrate. It's always been that's great the next thing the next thing the next thing and i think it's because that in yeah. in thinking like that i know that i'm i'm doing i'm not like you know i'm not expected to feel i'm not putting the expectation of feeling a certain way on myself when i achieve something it's like okay i've done this and i'm doing this and so long as i'm doing i'm good you know yeah it's not like i need to get an iphone 13 to like feel good or be good or whatever yeah i mean i mean this whole idea of material possessions bringing you happiness is just so flawed and so many senses but uh just to go back on what you were talking there about being in the present moment and that what alan watts actually said he has a he's a really cool quote whereby he says like we're always looking for something in the future some event that we're looking forward to we're always looking forward looking forward 
But when that event comes, we won't be able to enjoy it because when it comes, we're going to be looking at something else that's further on in the future and we can just never, ever appreciate what's right here at our feet at the moment. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's, I recommend checking him out. No, he's, well. uh, he's incredibly insightful. Um, and actually, to be honest, the more I kind of get into philosophy and that, I, I find myself really attracted to the, the like Eastern philosophy. Like he was obviously a, he was a Buddhist teacher, essentially, yeah. is what he was. Um, I just find it all so interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard of Anthony DeBello. Uh, if I have, it's peripherally. I haven't, I haven't taken any deep dives. He wrote this book called Awareness, and actually, Tim Ferriss, who like he he kind of advises if you're thinking of having a psychedelic experience, you should read Awareness by Anthony DeMello first. Right. And he says then you should do the 28 day introduction course by Sam Harris. You know the meditation. Oh, I have his app. I use that app. That is like that's that's the best thing for meditation, especially for me because I I need someone guiding me. I can't just be left alone really yeah. yeah it is difficult i've i've done all the apps at the moment i'm trying at the moment to uh just sit in silence by myself and you know kind of deal with whatever comes up and then eventually just bring back their breath or whatever but um anthony mello's book awareness is without a shadow without the best book i've ever read it's unbelievable and he obviously just kind of takes from these eastern ideas and I think they're unbelievably helpful because he talks about this like essential sense of self like your own your he, he says there's a differentiation between the i and the me yeah so the me he says is this you know kind of say lee bergen who has these labels you know it's like you know studied psychology whatever but then there's the i which is your essential self which is just like your identity as a human being which never changes and he uses this beautiful analogy of like um if you throw black paint into the air, the the air remains uncontaminated. The paint falls to the floor, but the air remains the same, remains uncontaminated. And he's like, that's what happens when you experience sadness. Yourself, your me will be affected, but your essential self, your I, hmm. will always be the same. Like that will always be there. So he's always talking about like dropping illusions and dropping attachments and if you really do that you can you can really you know be happy irrespective of what happens yeah in your life. i get that, that that makes perfect sense i mean often i don't know i don't know if it's weird or not but like you know i talk to myself sometimes right if i'm like leaving the house you just catch yourself in the mirror i'm like ah we're going out you know and um, just something weird like that and it, it's really weird that when you're in those moments of sadness or if you're thrown by something you can access that self but like you don't want to like you don't want to let it through you just kind of like we're sad now when he's like yeah and it's like do you know why and it's like not not really we're just we're just not feeling and it's like you you can talk to yourself well i can't i assume everyone else can it's like you can get to yourself that way you can just be like yeah like we're sad okay um you know it, it happens we know we're gonna feel better it's just like right now we just gotta embrace it and mm. keep going you know um so yeah. so i i get i get kind of that idea because there is a you on the inside it's not that you're always mm. the person that you know has a job has a degree go gets the bus at this time every morning or goes out and sets out it's like there's more to you than that there's the you that has experienced everything that you've experienced and knows yeah. it as opposed to the, the you that's just concerned with the task at hand or feeling what we're feeling in the minute or you know whatever remedial tasks we're doing it's like there's more to you than that there's more to you and I, I i find it extremely weird when i can't see that in some people does that make sense yeah it's like yeah. if i if i see someone and i if I can't see them for more than them, the more than themselves, the more than them that I see, like the the version of themselves that presents to me, that kind of weirds me out. I'm like, what do you think about? Do you not think like I think, or like not even that? Do you just not think about the things that I think about? Do you not get deep with yourself? Like, does not does everyone not do that? Yeah. Do you get what yeah, I'm saying? That's interesting. 
Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And I think that's actually, I, I think those type, those kinds of people don't. They don't, they're but not very introspective. That, that baffles me. I'm like, how can you not be? How can you get to like, I don't know, whatever, like the age of like 60 or something and just not have looked into yourself? Or like, how are you so, how is like football or rugby or something that's on the TV, just how is that your whole life? How, how, how do you just come home and look at a screen all day? Or how do you come home and not like sit with yourself and kind of, you know, whatever, take any introspection into yourself? Because that, baffles me i can't understand people who don't go like deep into themselves like that or who haven't asked themselves these questions or sought out these experiences like like i'm not saying that i'm obviously not saying that like oh everyone who hasn't done psychedelics man like you should shouldn't just associate with them they're they're nasty people mate they yeah. like, haven't taken the time to understand them it just it baffles yeah. me that people haven't been interested in themselves enough to do it or I don't know. I just feel like there's something there that they're missing. I'm like, I want, it's like I was saying, like, I don't want to push everything on or everything on everyone. I'm just like, there's something there that you can have and that you can have access to and that'll make your life so much more contented. Like, why, why are we doing this more? You know, I don't mean that with psychedelic yeah. trips. I mean, even meditation or getting introspective. It's like, I can't understand people mm. who don't. It's because they're so, they're considered like so woo woo, especially in Ireland. Like, That's right. you tell someone you meditate, we're becoming a little bit more accepting of it now, recent times, but like, actually, the likes of Brezzy has helped incredibly with that. But, uh, you know, like it's, like psychedelics, there's just such a stigma there. And, and it's still very clear there in Irish society, you know, people are not up to date with whatever's going on, the research that's going on at the moment and how helpful they can be. And the same with meditation and things like that. And you can't really push it on people either. Like I think it has to be kind of, you know, discretionary. If these people yeah. want to do this, they will eventually get into it and they will do it. But, uh, yeah i mean it does it does befuddle me as well when i when pe when people just don't seem interested in what this is all about like why are we here or yeah not necessarily why we're here like we're here because we're here and that's just the way it is <laughs> but, fair you know what can be done like yeah you know no um i get that but these are the same people that'll kneel down for 60 minutes and let someone talk in them for for years in a different language that they didn't understand they'll just like sit down and take it you know what i mean son of god three days he rose again do you know like they're just and to be fair actually yeah uh, i was at a mass um almost like two years ago at this point and i'd like i'm not not religious i'd say i'm more kind of agnostic like i believe it when i see it you know what i mean yeah uh, and it was from my, my granddad's uh, memorial and i remember after i came out of the mass i was like oh that was refreshing that was nice i felt like kind of nice afterwards you know uh yeah um i think that i think that is a form of meditation for some people because like you're sitting in silence you're being got yeah. told these stories and guided through this this way of thinking and it's all ceremonial and stuff but um yeah. something what you're saying about yeah, um, on eastern philosophy before i get before i lose this mm -hmm. it's funny and i remember learning about this when i was kind of diving into philosophy but that the eastern schools and the western schools of philosophy so say like taoism uh buddhism stoicism epicureanism and all these other hellenistic philosophies kind of emerged at the same time and with the same ideas almost and I don't think yeah. anything like that, so far as I know, I don't think stories like that have happened so that, like, in such a way that they've developed at the same time at different parts of the world at a time where these parts of the world weren't accessible to each other. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's mad. I don't know if you are if you know the, the guy Stephen West who has that podcast, Philosophies This. That was, that that was literally the first, yeah, that was my first kind of introduction to philosophy. I used to listen to that all the time. I used to love that. Yeah. Yeah. He's brilliant. That podcast is brilliant. But he makes that point in the first few in the first few uh, episodes of the podcast because yeah, he yeah, starts yeah. off, you know, with with the pre Socratics, and then he goes into Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, and then he, he just goes to Confucius. Yeah, and you're like, Jesus, these guys were talking about the same things, and they had no clue yeah. that they were on the same wavelength. Like, it's mad. That's so insane. 
Mm. I, I love that idea though. the fact that like the same idea and the same ideals and values and virtues happen at the same time across different sides of the world that like it's insane to think about now we get it now because everyone can send like messages across the world like in an instant but back in the day like people were starting to think the same way and they had no idea that each other existed yeah it's insane yeah it is oh i love it um <laughs> so lee what like um i know like times aren't great at the minute we're all stuck at stuck mm. at home inside so you're still working are you you're still like a yeah i'm deemed essential care staff so we've been we've been in we haven't stopped really we didn't close it off when we closed before i actually i started the job in september i think yeah. and uh we closed for a couple of months during the summer right uh during the first lockdown or whatever and uh but then when the second lockdown came along we just stayed open so uh we've since i started we, i've just been working flat out yeah yeah and whereabouts in tell us this place it's right in the village square Oh, okay. So you're like directly in Tala Village? Yeah. Oh, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty sick. And what what kind of work are you doing up there? I know you said it was like more so the same, like, but like... Yeah, it's kind of the same. Kind of the same, but obviously I get to go home, I get to go home much earlier and start a little bit later. So yeah, that's right. A couple of pluses. But uh, my official title is Psychology Project Worker. So I'm working quite closely. We have an assistant psychologist there who's brilliant. He's a South African guy. He's so experienced. He's it's kind of almost doing him a disservice to call him an assistant psychologist oh, really? because he's so knowledgeable um so i work closely with him kind of um you know just kind of uh, doing the case formulations and stuff like that for some of our service users and you know going through how they're doing and their stresses like how stress management and you know we're kind of in- implementing some cbt oh, uh, with some of our service users at the moment um so uh it's it's been really good for me because I, I kind of developing my knowledge base of what it's like to be a psychologist you know and practically like you know how to actually apply this, the things you're learning in college and stuff yeah. like that so uh that's what i'm doing at the moment so yeah it's really good yeah it's and really good what would you want to do like what, what would be like your ideal next step if you want so i want to be a ther. well i want but i want to be a psychedelic therapist that's all i want to be right but like I, I will either have to become a licensed psychotherapist, counsellor, or a clinical psychologist in order to do that, because right. those people are the only people who are essentially allowed to uh, become psychedelic therapists. You have to have those credentials. So at the moment, I'm kind of figuring out whether I want to be a psychotherapist or whether I want to be a clinical psychologist, mm. because those two professions are quite different. Right. Um, you know, you have to deal with different things if you're a clinical psychologist, maybe a more broad range of uh, psychiatric disorders and stuff like that, right. maybe, if you're if you're a clinician. But uh, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. But I still have my sights firmly set on traveling at the moment. So I was kind of hoping on traveling and maybe doing a master's in psychotherapy as I traveled. A few dentist appointments in Tenerife. Huh? I said a few dentist appointments in Tenerife. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> um, we'll see that that could still happen. I might yeah. there's a there's a good course I was looking at there at the moment in Utrecht in the Netherlands. So oh yeah, unreal. That's very cheap. It's actually a master's in clinical psychology, and after graduating, you are a clinical psychologist in the Netherlands. You can work as a clinical psychologist in the Netherlands, and it's only one year, and it's only like two grand too. So I was thinking I might do that. And Utrecht is supposed to be such a cool place to live. Yeah, especially for students. So I was I thinking maybe we might we might end up there. Amazing. And would your girlfriend just be like, all right, let's go? 
What's like? What's she do? Yeah, like, well, she she's her background is in advertising. She has a master's in advertising from DIT, I think. Unreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DIT. Um, and that's what she had been doing. But that is not a nice area of work. I mean, she was working with an advertising agency, and it was seriously long hours. Really? And their clients were just horrible to deal with like you know yeah. the deadlines and the pressure and there was, she's getting emails at six o'clock in the morning and emails at eight o'clock in the evening and she's like all right enough of this so um she took a little bit of a break for herself and she has a little bit of a side hustle whereby she brings in kind of pre-loved clothes and uh buys in clothes from charity shops like that Amazing. and sells it on herself it's called Korea clothing if you want to check it out mate 100 send me the site and i'll link it Will do, That's will do. And uh, so she's working on that at the moment. And she's also working part-time in Designer Exchange in town. I don't know if you know that shop. They sell like all designer brands, second-hand designer handbags and stuff like that. Never heard of it. Whereabouts is it? Exchequer Street. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's where she's based at the moment. But they're actually closed. So at the moment, yeah. she's kind of focusing on her, Side hustle. on her, uh, on Korea. But uh, yeah, but like she's open to kind of going anywhere. Oh, and yeah. I actually live with my younger brother as well so the street was in the oh. apartments he's 23 and he he's actually the co-creator of primal liberation I me mean, yeah i was gonna so ask we, you about that. that i was trying to get into that yeah, yeah yeah we do that together um and he obviously would be more than willing to come traveling with us as well but we're open to going anywhere like yeah. we're just we're fairly spontaneous in that sense you know amazing yeah that's unreal because um so yeah actually while we're on this tell me about primal liberation what's all about it well <clears throat> It's just kind of, uh, well, it's at the moment, it's just a blog, it's an online blog yeah. whereby we wanted to kind of spread these kind of, these messages that we were, not messages, but this information and this education that we were getting from reading books. Yeah. Like, not an awful lot of people read these books. People, especially from the background we come from, like, you know, we're countrymen who, you know, have backgrounds in GAA and we played hurling the football and all that kind of stuff. And none of the people who we were associating with when we grew up read that much right um, really good people incredibly sound like still some of our best friends but uh they just you know they would never have had their eyes open to this kind of knowledge that we were exposing ourselves to mm. so you know that's essentially what it is is that we want to read these books and read like kind of soak in all this knowledge from all these incredibly insightful people and make it more accessible and more readable and maybe more relatable for people who wouldn't read that regularly if you know what i mean yeah and uh because i think it's so important like some of these messages that we get from these authors are just like they make a marked change on how you view reality and how you go about your daily life and stuff like that so that's what it is essentially is just to kind of spread the spread the message unreal so how do you do that like you i know you have an instagram page and you have a like an actual blog as well where you kind of like write up bits yeah we have our, we have our blog they are blogs, but we've decided to call them allegories just to change things up a little bit. Amazing. Yeah, no, because I remember I was on the website uh, when I first came across it and like I saw allegories. I was like, oh, allegory of the cave? What are we, what are we talking about here? Yeah, um, well, essentially the allegory of the cave, that was actually, we, we talked about the allegory of the cave in one of our recent newsletters. We hmm. send out a newsletter every Monday called Mind Expansion Monday. And um, an allegory is really a story. Yeah. And that's, that's, what we, that's what we want our allegories to be. It's kind of, you know, to engage the reader um so you can find our allegories at primaliberation.com i will link that as well um they're very they're they're not they're not hard read you know they're they're uh they're very readable and there's a little twist of humor it's our own kind of sense of humor thrown in there as well just to kind of make it relatable yeah. to 
what, what we hope will be a wider audience you know yeah so that's kind of that's the direction we're going with at, at the moment amazing i love it um so yeah no i, I get it man like again i i'm not gonna say i've done anything as in-depth as that like i have the exam and stoic and that's just kind of like me shy talking like to, to anyone who listen and uh, that's unbelievable though i mean that that page is huge like you know I, i'm like we have back all followers on our instagram page and not that we're doing it for followers really yeah. and truly we are doing we're writing our blogs when we are writing our blogs we are very mindful of the fact that we're writing this for ourselves i get like, that it is I, I like that's something you know I, I, mean? I 100 get that like it's the same with the exam and stoic i remember i started that and i was like i don't think anyone's gonna listen to this i don't like and i didn't particularly care either yeah. like I, it wasn't yeah. i never had I suppose why would you start an account if you didn't have the idea of followers in mind of course I had followers in mind but it was never that I was trying to appeal to anyone aside from me you know and mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I was I was, like even with this like this started out and I remember saying it it was like like who's gonna listen to me why would someone listen to me like who cares mm. and it's not it's not yeah. about that like it's about having the conversations with people like you who I, I wouldn't know otherwise just been like I, sh- I should reach out to him I should talk to him you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I get really anxious when it comes to that even when it came to like time to like set up for this I was like ah so anxious and then but like uh, you're i was so nervous mate as well you can't you can't you come across so well so so well um (laughs) like i i still get anxious about this and i'm like i've been sending random messages to people on the internet for for years now and it's just like something that still frightens me but it's it's worth putting up with that level of anxiety for because like the conversations you have after it and the knowledge you gain from it is more than you know that that brief stint of ah that you get before you do something you know yeah, but I mean, that's so important that you're actually, despite your fear, you're doing it anyway, you know? Listen. You're doing it anyway. I think that's very, very admirable. Fair play to you, like, because it, it's not easy to, to, to set up a podcast and set up these pages and put your, you know, your own ideas out there and kind of, you know, they're out there in the public and they're open, like, they could possibly be critiqued. And, you know, you're, I mean, that's that's courageous. That's something that you should be proud of. And it's... It's definitely it's definitely helping people and it's helping yourself and it's important to you and it's giving you a sense of purpose and meaning and that's what it's all about really isn't it yeah no you're right man and like likewise it's not it's not easy to write something especially when you're in the early stages of it or when you're trying to get it off the ground like it's not easy to keep persistent with something or trying to steal something mm-hmm. or when you're like you absolutely don't want to and you just like oh you know it's it's there's no one holding you to it it's it's weird that way yeah it's like there's no there's no one forcing a deadline on you aside from yourself I suppose it's easier mm. the fact that you have your brother and stuff and you're kind of like both in it together. But like still, there's no there's no, there's no, no two people aside from you two who are just like hammering away at it. And yeah. like it, it, it's, it shows that, you know, there's a sense of belief of self that a lot of people wouldn't put up with themselves or put themselves through in aid of something that they think is bigger than them. So amazing. Mm. I love it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, but like sometimes when I am right, because I, I heard uh, I heard a guy on Tim Ferriss one, I forget his name now, he was saying that he was asked the question, what makes you such a good writer? How mm-hmm. did you become so good at writing? And he was like, 300 shitty words a day. That's all it is. <laughs> and so I keep that in the back of my head and I'm like, I have to write every day. It doesn't matter what it is, mm. anything, just get the words down on the page. Yeah. And uh, that's something I strive to do and that's something that my brother tries to do. And... Um, you know, sometimes we don't like writing. Like it, yeah. it, is, no, it is an effort. I get it. It's, I get it, it's yeah. probably the hardest thing to do. Mm. No, it's it's so hard to write. Uh, but when you do actually finish a blog or finish an allegory or whatever you want to call it, and you read it and you read it out loud and you're proud of it, and 
somebody else reads it and they like it like it makes it worthwhile then, isn't it yeah no 100 i couldn't agree more and i don't know i've gotten to the point now where on instagram it's almost dangerous for me to look at comments like it's just like, it's like there's some people out there who just i don't know they don't want to be nice right and i'm not saying that that holds any yeah. toll on me anymore but like just reading it, i'm like oh stress but sometimes i do sometimes i find myself reading the comments and most of the time people yeah. are quite nice people are like this is amazing thank you so much for sharing this this is like well put or whatever mm-hmm. and then some people are like you're a christian terrorist and i'm like all right cool fair enough whatever but um most of the people are really really nice about it and like you know it's it's great to see yeah it's nice it's, to read it's important to remember that you know that guy or whoever that, that guy or girl whoever it was calling you a terrorist <laughs> the problem is in them like oh me that, yeah. that's their problem that they're saying that it's it's you know it's not really got to do with you at all yeah and at the end of the day you have to remind yourself that you're putting these posts out there and you're doing these things for you yeah you know? no no i get it man I, like listen i understand why i do it and i certainly understand why you do it so like you know keep at it man uh, like build it and they'll come is, is my is my whole philosophy on these things yeah believe man i've really i've really Absolutely. enjoyed the conversation Um, tell people where they can find you and your girlfriend and anyone else you want to support and what they should do about it okay right and well um First and foremost, you can check out our website, primaliberation.com, where we have our allegories. We have a new allegory every single Sunday. Um, we write about all sorts of interesting things from psychedelics to everything, Eastern philosophy. We write about, I've wrote an allegory on Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. My brother wrote, uh, wrote an allegory on uh, the thoughts of Jiddu Krishnamurti, who is an incredibly insightful philosopher. Um, and really interesting things so check out primalliberation.com we are you can find us on instagram at primal underscore liberation we have a twitter page also it's at primal lib which we don't use that often but we might be using uh, more often in the future um so that's where you can find us and my girlfriend's instagram page is at crea clothing c-r-e-a clothing you can find it there um, and you can buy a few bits for yourself or your missus or whoever and uh, yeah so that's it that's pretty much it amazing thoroughly enjoyed and that's it and me too that was easy that, that makes it yeah yeah so awesome.